What's up, everybody? It's John Morgan. Listen, I want to just say thank y'all to everybody who has been supporting this podcast. Um, I cannot grow this without the support of the community who allows me to grow. So thank y'all to everybody who's been supporting, everybody who's been sharing it, everybody who is a subscriber on YouTube, everybody who has purchased merch from me, everybody who just tells somebody, you know, through through telling somebody in conversation who share these podcasts and your group text. Thank y'all. I, I, I cannot do this without you guys. So thank you for that. Right now, we want to ask for a specific type of support right now. If you can, stop what you're doing. Yes, you right now. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing right now. Go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Become a subscriber to this page, the Live Your Purpose podcast YouTube channel. Become a subscriber. Like, share, tell somebody about it. But stop what you're doing right now. Go to your YouTube page and become a subscriber. Click it. Click subscribe on the YouTube page and become a subscriber of this page. It allows us to grow and it allows us to, to touch different reach with different people. So please, if you could, if you call yourself a supporter, if you want to continue to see us grow and continue to see us build, stop what you're doing right now. Go to YouTube. Click that subscribe button. Like, thumbs up, all of that. Please, right now, Live Your Purpose Podcast. Peace. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Live Your Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan, Jr., um, before we get into who our wonderful guest is today, I just want to say thank you to, you know, to our community of LYP. Um, we building this thing, you know, and it, and it, and it, and it feels crazy to, you know, to think that, uh, we started in my living room with, you know, with one iPhone and, you know, my cousin working the camera, you know, my, my young guy working the, working the audio sound and, you know, we doing a little bit of traveling now, you know, we, we expanding our guests and, um, it just it just feels good to just kind of see this thing continue to grow and continue to see uh, our company build um, and just seeing the uh, the community of people really take to what we're doing. You know, I genuinely appreciate that. Um, we cannot do this without the community of the, of the people. So much shout out to everybody who's been supporting, people who've been rocking the merch, uh, people who've just been checking into each episode, people who just kind of, you know, just texting me and calling me like, man, I like what you're doing. I love what you're doing. So much love to y'all. You know, I genuinely appreciate that. Um, and I, you know, I, I never take that for granted. Um, so without further ado, man, our, our guest for today, we got Dr. Kevin <laughs> August in the building, man. You know, it's, it's, it's the virtual bill, but, you know, he sit, he's sitting down with us, man. This is actually a repeat. Um, we had some technical <laughs> difficulties the first time around. Um, but, you know, that was a little bit of time ago, you know, so I'm very excited to have him back on. Evan, what's good with you, man? How are you? Yeah, I appreciate you. It's it's even even the doctor feels feels weird because that's that's newly minted, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, like I just defended my dissertation like exactly a month ago. Mm. Uh, been on the job market, about to be a professor somewhere. We can't announce it just yet. You know, people are gonna have to wait for that news a little bit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited for this conversation because the first one that that's going to be lost to the archives was a special one. So I know this one's going to be just as good. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, man, how does it, how does it feel? Like, you know what I'm saying? Finishing up that, that, that crazy grueling schooling that you, that you've been into. And, you know, like you said, man, it's the, 
you the new doctor added to your name but you you know you didn't put in a lot of work up to this point man so how does it feel to kind of just see all your work just come, come to light man how, how how does that feel i remember as you were talking and uh you you, you i think your fan base is gonna like this because you all you guys are all from cleveland you all all from ohio yeah akron akron cleveland yep mm -hmm. akron, yeah so when lebron won his first championship i remember i have like a flashbulb that's how he felt. He's like, it's about time. Right. Yeah, yeah it's about damn time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that, that's it. That's it right there. Because you, in, in the PhD program, you're ready before they give you the degree. Like, you're so ready. Mm. Right? Your supervisors know you're ready. The, your community knows you're ready. But there's these just hurdles that they still want to put you through. In my view, it's, I think it's exploitation. It's a way for them to squeeze like professional work, professional labor out of people that they don't want to pay. Like, there's a whole bunch of clinics. There's a whole bunch of hospitals. There's a whole bunch of uh, therapy offices that run on, I don't have to pay these people what they're worth because they still have the quote unquote student on their name. So the last two years of the PhD program for most people that I know is the most strenuous process because you're doing the work for a fraction of the support. So getting that, there, there's a, my friend made a gift. As soon as they said, like you passed Dr. Evan, I had tears on my face. I was going, just thinking about all that, I got tears on my face. It was something yeah, else. Yeah. It feels uh, surreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations to you, man. You know, um, living living with a, a, a psychologist, um, a practicing psychologist. I remember those days of seeing her you know, finishing up those last, last year, those last few months of that PhD program, that shit is no joke. Mm -hmm. um, so so much love and much respect to you. Listen, man, um, we, in, we in a new year, you know, how how are you? You know, how how are you genuinely? You know, how, how is your spirit, man? How are you feeling mentally, spiritually, you know? Um, we, again, we in a new year, but just like a lot's been going on for you. How are you genuinely? Yeah. It feels good. That, that's something I could say sincerely for the first time in a while, right? It, it feels good. Um, it, when you move out of, one is like professional, right? When you move out of the student space, and I'm still technically, I have to finish my internship, but you start to see your work and your passions given more gravity. Mm -hmm. So having conversations where some of the work that I'm doing that could shape policy for people that I care about. Mm. Some of the writing that I'm doing that could shape how clinics practice for the people that I care about. Mm -hmm. Having those kind of conversations, it feels so fulfilling because this is what I dreamed about. I was thinking about that when I was driving, um, uh, you know, uh, driving to my parents for the holidays, thinking about when I was an undergrad. I remember watching, looking at TV, looking at a psychologist named Carl Hart. He's mm -hmm. at Columbia. And watching him duke it out with you know, the, the, the racist, like the Bill O'Reilly, and him really putting on for our communities, our people, and his work, and thinking, like, in undergrad, I want to be that. Could I be that? And now, thinking about the conversation that I'm having, the type of work that I'm doing, the, the places that I have the potential to go to, it's like, yo, you really, you really did that. And so mm. now, in this moment, it's about almost, almost pushing myself to dream farther. Because I always thought, like, this moment this is going to be, if everything goes right, I could be sitting here and a lot yeah. of stuff went right and i was yeah. like now, we're, now what are we going to do yeah so that, that feels exciting 
That's dope, man. Hey, Dr. Carl Hart, that's the guy. He's currently doing like some stuff with like um I don't even I don't even want to butcher it, but he's doing some stuff on like the uh with like drugs and stuff. Is that is that the same that's the same guy? Exactly him. Yeah. He's got a, he's got, a, he's got an interesting perspective, man, of like how he's how how he's doing stuff. I seen him um I seen him on Joe Rogan and then I seen him again on the Breakfast Club. And he has an interesting perspective of like, to my understanding, he's trying to like bring attention to the legalization of like of all drugs, but basically, you know what I'm saying? For like research and, 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 and data points, like, and a lot of people try to like, they shun him and push him away. But like, when you really hear his ideology, man, he got, he got an interesting way of doing it, man. I can't, I can't say I completely disagree with him. Exactly. So if you saw that breakfast club interview, that's exactly what it was, right? They were not messing with it at no, all. They didn't even give him a shot or didn't even like listen and take into what he's saying. Take, taking in what he was saying. Exactly, which was part of the, the issue, right? Where yeah. there's a culture of drugs. We have, we have a culture around drugs, right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the things to, to abstain. Because again, it is done, like ignorant and, and, and leaning too much on certain types of drugs has done, people have seen it, done very, it's huge damage to people that we care about, right? I'm sure a lot of people know people impacted directly by the opioid, opioid epidemic, right? So we can see that harm. So you have somebody coming out saying, if you educate people, this is fine. People think, especially I think with the Breakfast Club, they're thinking about their role as cultural influencer. They're saying like, no, nah, don't do it. Right. Right. And he's coming from the perspective is we have to be honest right. about what these drugs are. Right. You're, you're drawing arbitrary classifications and distinctions Right, this is okay for you to take in a medical context. Like you probably know somebody who's prescribed this, but in a recreational context, it's suddenly why the issue is because you don't know what you're taking. Yep. You buy on the street, you don't know what you're taking. Yep. And so his whole thing is like we need a more robust infrastructure so people can test what they're using. We need a more honest conversation about what exactly people are taking and for what. Um, and yet, right now, because of how dangerous it is and has been, a lot of people just have a. In some ways, it's like a cultural, almost like a historical trauma reaction from seeing what it's done to different communities. So it's understandable. You, you can understand where he's coming from because he's obviously informed. But you can also understand the reaction. That it's going to be a tough sell to tell people, you can do heroin in certain contexts. People are not going to want to hear that. Right. Yeah, that's 100 percent facts. Um, like, like I said, man, going back a little bit, we, we, we are in a new year, you know, um, still in the middle of this pandemic. Um, but I don't I don't know about for you, man, but I literally just made a post like yesterday, matter of fact, about, you know, how much that I've learned and just grown these last two years. You know, there's been so much, you know, trials and tribulations, so much growth, so much forced growth um, for me personally. Still a long way to go, but just there's been so much like, you know, so so many impactful things that, that I've experienced these past couple of years, man. For you, when you just kind of like think about these last two years specifically, you know, the start of the pandemic, here we are two years later, everything that's been going on, what do you think you learned about yourself, you know, mentally and spiritually, you know what I'm saying, these, these last couple of years? You know what's funny is this is how we closed, I think, the last podcast. Mm. And I remember thinking through it and talking and then arriving, I basically, I don't know. I don't know what I've learned. I'm still like in that process. 
And again, you talk about uh, divine planning. I, I think I can answer that question now. I think when we had that podcast, I hadn't reached the end of that particular journey. Mm. And now I can see like a little bit of the finish line around that. Um, and part of it is exactly that, right? Is, is, is our specific plans, people say this all the time, our specific plans, the specific way we expect things to roll out might, it's obvious, it might not manifest as we intend, but the work and the energy that we do put out there, we'll make it so it happens at some point down the line. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a severe lesson for me, where you talked to me at this point last year, I'm quitting the field. <laughs> I have a conversation where I'm like, I'm done. Right. Lie. These people cannot be trusted. They're mm -hmm. doing harm. Mm -hmm. I cannot be a part of this. I'm quitting. So right now where I'm saying, like, I think a lot of my dreams, how I'd intended them are beginning to, to, to manifest, right? Um, and so a lot of that is about, yeah, trust, trusting in the work, trusting in the, the, the community. It does, it's not about these institutions. It's not about, uh, it's not about accolades. It's about putting in work. And if you do that, like your role in society, your, your role to them, it will make it so, yeah, that, that specific place you want to be in that, that that'll manifest. It's, it's a little vague way, but I, I hope it's kind of clear. And so to that end, I think the last few years, I had so much anxiety about wanting to take that place in my community, take that place within society, to be someone who could offer education or learning or history around healing. Right? Mm. Um, that I always was operating from a place of, of stress, like I could lose that. Mm. If I don't write this six article, I, I could lose that. That's fleeting. Mm. One is me saying that, like, no, like, it's not nobody's trying to take that from you. We want, right? We, we just want more people doing that type of help. And so, because of that, as that anxiety has subsided, th this next chapter is about kind of me learning more of that balance. So, as opposed to purely work, and my work has spiritual, you know, associations, it has community associations. Now it's about stepping outside of work and developing that. So, it's about de developing specifically like my faith, right? Mm -hmm. I write a lot about Haitian Bodu. I think a lot about how it relates to Catholicism, Christianity. I've done that like intellectually, cognitively. Mm -hmm. but what does that mean to actually practice that? How do I want to like practice that for myself? You know, right. <clears throat> um, creating more memories with people that I care about outside of the psychological work context. That's what it's about at this point. I think again, when I return to the work, I'll be able to bring all those experiences, all that balance with me and make it, make it better. Yeah. That's you, I'm at right now. You, you spoke a little bit about like, you, you know what I'm saying? Your experiences in the work, man, what you was experiencing last year. What, what were those experiences that you was kind of taking in, man? That was really making you question if it was all worth it or not. What, what was, what, what was going on? It was like a confluence of like a lot of things, <clears throat> right? So on the one end, it was January, February of last year. It, it, I've been experiencing what I didn't know was like a lot of vicarious trauma, which is wild, right? Because you could read all of this stuff. I could read about, you know, black men afraid to talk about emotions and have my opinions about whether or not that's accurate and um, people trying to like uh, push aside them. I could read all of that. But then when I'm in those systems, so when I was going to the prisons, right? When I was going to, uh, State, uh, state prison, maximum security prison upstate. 
and seeing a woman who'd been incarcerated due to the lies of a psychiatrist for as long as I've been alive mm. and seeing her pain because she'd lost, like she had children passed while she was incarcerated. When I saw that, that hit, you know? But I was sitting here thinking like all these other psychologists, all these other white psychologists, they're able to do this. They're fine. I should be able to do this. Because if, if this matters to me, I have to be able to do this. I, I can't be like shaking. I was going to the forensic hospitals in New York and seeing people who have been there for like years who just want nothing but to go home and to see psychiatrists and psychologists like berate them, tell them you're never leaving. So I'm seeing that. And I see like my role in this, like I can't be a part of the institution. I have to change it. But like coming up against, I'm talking to lawyers, I'm talking to law students, I'm talking to outside mentors and all of them bumping up, bumping up against the wall. Like there's nothing really you could do at this point. I felt like I was shaking the cage. Right? And it got to a point where, again, I would repress it. It would come out, I was talking to the head of my department about it. But the first time I think in like a month or two, I finally decided I have to talk to him. I was talking. All of a sudden, like tears at the back of my eye. I had no idea where it was coming from. Tears. I tried to take a second, like, what's going on right now? I was talking to my friends about it. All of a sudden, the tear. And I realized now it was like a trauma reaction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had repressed it so much. I had avoided all those thoughts so that when they were coming, it was all coming together. So it was that. And this is all, and this is all responsible from what you have been taking in on a day to day at the job. Exactly. Ooh. In the in the field. Exactly. So, so you go to the prisons, you go to these hospitals, you see the harm that's done. Which are with our current like quote unquote care system. Yeah. It is so it was mixed between that and the the whole internship experience is one where uh, you you go on uh, several interviews. People might promise you things. People might uh, advocate for you to to come to particular places. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's out of your control. And so I kind of felt like I'd done all this work and I wanted to move in with my partner. Like finally, I settled down, finished doing distance. And I placed at a site. Once you place at a site, you have no option. Right? Once you link at a site, you're going. There's nothing you could do. Mass at a site that was even farther away than what I was before. So in my head, I was like, I went through all of this, doing all of this to move farther from the people that I care about. And so for me, it felt like the, the work I was doing was in fact divorcing me from all those other aspects of myself, from my spirit, from my family, from the people that I care about. And so I, I, I was having like an impossible time reconciling that. Um, and all it took was a little bit of time, you know? Mm. That, that, that's really what it, I had to move through that. Cause I was like, that was a real, like the field does do that to people. That's not like a myth. That's not something I, I realized was a lie. That's, that's true. You know? It just took a little bit more time for it to wrap back around. Man, it's so interesting that you speak from it from that from that uh, experience, man. Because listen, I'm one of those people on the other side of the fence where it would be it became too much for me. I had to, I had to step away. You know, I was working at a community mental health agency um, as a caseworker and as a social worker, but I would be placed in schools, and I would work in elementary schools, junior high schools, high schools, um, and I would work primarily with a caseload of students, and that would extend to their families. And really, the entire the entire school body, you know what I'm saying? Because you, as as you know, man, when you doing when you doing it, uh, work from a place of service, especially in our field, bro, it's extending all over the place. Especially when you give a damn about your people. Um, and man, over the last few years, I had been I I had been feeling the the weight of the vicarious trauma. You know what I'm saying? From like 
seeing babies um, not only get like misdiagnosed, mistreated, um, you see the racism that racism that they're experiencing. I'm talking about four year olds, three year olds. I'm talking about babies, babies, man. And you seeing this on an everyday basis. To me, it be, it, it became too much, man. And, and I remember one of the the um, one of the last experiences that I had in a, a school. Um, and I was always one of those people that was like, I was not only was I able to empathize, you know, with, with our kids, but I was also able to just like I was able to understand that man what they were battling. Um, and one time, man, a kid actually made me mad. <laughs> and I'm talking about really like I really had a a response where I was pissed. And I'm like, something's not right. You know what I'm saying? That's not, that's not even me, you know? Um, and I knew that if knowing myself, I knew, know myself and, you know, continue to like think big picture and things like that. If I would have stayed within the field in that capacity, man, I would have done such a, a detriment to not only my own self and my own health, but to the people that I care about most, man. So like, I commend you for like, you know, pushing through it because, I, I, I wasn't able to, man, you know, I had, I had to take a step aside, you know, what was best for me and my family. So I completely understand what you're saying. But I just want to like also respond to what you're saying is, is that I think that's like a, a healthy move to do. I think that's the <laughs> biggest issue because when you think about what this work is, when you think about people who work in the prisons, who work in the hospitals, who work with the kids, it is in a system that is causing them harm. Right. And so you have people that, again, either you're going to put yourself through that continuous trauma reaction. Again, I'm talking about all the things I'm talking about. I got cut off by COVID half a year in. <laughs> right. Yeah. So let's talk about the time, right? Half a year in. Yeah, man. What does that look like for me? Again, if I put in <laughs> another year, two years, three years, you have people like, again, who have to leave or who, again, are the type of people who this is not impacted. They're not, it's not affecting them. You know? Yeah. And they, to the point that you're making are the people who end up doing that harm because they're so jaded, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're so calloused by, by the work that they do. And, I, and I've seen that. People mm -hmm. who are otherwise brilliant people who become so callous because of the work that they've done for so many years. And again, I also don't want to rule out, there are people who strike that perfect balance for however they do it, right? Can maintain their level of empathy, their care, their brilliance, while at the same time dealing with all their stress and frustration. There are a lot, there are people who could do that. Those people I think are, Incredible, those people are saying yeah, those are the anomalies, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let me let me let me ask you this. Did you um your time in internship was it was it mostly in the judicial system and in, in the prisons and stuff? Did you spend any time in any other systems outside of outside of the criminal justice system? Yeah, so um just in terms of like my training trajectory, right? We have um in our clinical program, you go through it's called like either practicum or externship. So uh, my first was at a college counseling center, then at a, an inpatient hospital. Then after that, it was a, I was doing a dual placement, one at a, a forensic hospital and okay. another, um, with, the, with a law clinic where I was doing evaluations at maximum security prisons. Um, my internship right now is with the uh, DC Superior Court Child Guidance Clinic. Oof. There, yeah, it's like, you're at, a, you're at a court clinic, so you're going to their, they have youth, I think it's, what is it? Uh, I can't forget, I can't remember what their, the acronym stands for, but basically restorative justice centers for 
um, the adjudicated youth. So you might do therapy there. They come into the court for their evaluations. But it's like a similar thing. You can see how the court, I don't say in DC, a lot of policy trying to advocate for youth. Mm. But it's in some ways, in a lot of ways, very incomplete. We're giving, maybe saying this kid, specifically this kid needs therapy. But then that kid's friend group, those kids' siblings, the kids' parents, we don't think about them. And so people will be surprised when it looks like the therapy is not working. It's because like this kid is nested within a structure of people that have been traumatized. It's not just this kid who saw five of his friends shot and killed. Everybody around him saw that too. It's like this individualistic idea that we have about psychology that kind of maintains the, the, the negative contact that people are in. So what you what you referring to right now is why I I, I typically um I always find myself in a um in a disagreement when it comes to like you know we're talking like when people when I hear people speak about like um us as black people like having the uh the freedom to like make choices and like you know the power to just ultimately choose something different and I always look at it from a standpoint of like ah it's a little bit more complex than that you know what I'm saying when you when you expected somebody to just simply choose this or that, you know, when you break down the context and what these decisions look like, it's not that easy. You, you know what I'm saying? It's never just as simple as just ma making a choice, man. When you factor in, listen, um, how can I make this choice when everybody around me is doing X, Y, and Z, when all my people have done this, this, and this, and that, the people who I love, the people that I trust, the people that I have relationships with, are doing X, Y, and Z. I don't even see anybody who's living a quote unquote healthy lifestyle. So to me, that doesn't even look real. So how can that be expected to make, you know, the, these choices, man? So when I hear you saying that, that's what I think of. But I, I asked you that, you know, what system that you were working in? Um, because I, I wanted your opinion, man. Like, because it's you were working, sounds like you were doing some experience in the uh within the medical field as, as well as you know within the uh, criminal justice. Which one was I ask my wife this all the time you know, about which systems, you know, are a little bit more impactful, a little bit worse than, than, than the other. And your, your experience, which one was just a little bit more um, chaotic and just a little bit more impactful than the other one? I think it's the same, like, puddle, right? I think about that, I don't know if I brought up this quote last time we talked, but like Fanon said, psychiatry is an auxiliary of the police, mm. right? But when you think about the impact of the hospitals, whether they be forensic or uh, medical, uh, you think about the core clinic, the, the job of psychiatry and psychology at that point is to erase people from society. It's to say, this behavior is such that you're disrupting society. So our care, like our care concern here isn't, isn't for you, it's for everybody else. So what we do with you, we take you, remove you, do behavioral modification, modification, medication, whatever it needs to be. And then we'll see if we can put you back. But the job there is one of erasure. And watching that is, is what'll mess you up. Yeah. That's what, because you, you, you're seeing what the, what the person needs, you're seeing what the person's saying. And at that point, your, your job, your mission isn't for that person, at least completely. It, it's for the perceived need of, of a society. Man, I remember my, my, uh, I remember my therapist told me in the middle of a session one time, um, I was still working in the field at this time. And I was just, I was really having a hard time with just like 
all the stuff that we talking about, right? And I was talking to her and I was like, you know, but there's still a part of me that feels like, you know, um, obligated or whatever the case may be. And she laughed, she was like, um, no, I think I had said something like, man, why the hell did I choose to be in this field? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that. And she laughed and she said, John, um, you know, we don't just like randomly get into this field, you know, our, our own experiences have led us to this, you know? Um, so what are some of your own life experiences, man, that led you to really want to serve in this field and specifically being a psychologist? Yeah, it's, it's, it's multiple things, right? It's, <clears throat> I realized that the more I reflect on it, I realized it was for me being at a kind of, I guess like cultural nexus, right? I had my mother who moved from Virginia up to New York. I had my father who would move from Capacien, uh, Haiti to also New York. And so a lot of their, uh, they'd be comfortable with me saying a lot of their relationship initially was a lot of kind of cultural schism. And so I was raised in like the middle of that. Mm. And so while they were negotiating that, I think it didn't completely socialize me to deal with living in a predominantly white neighborhood. So when I was received, when I was, you know, called the N-word for the first time, that messed me up. Second time messed me up. Third time messed me up. Eighth time messed me up. Right. Growing up in that environment, it was, it was, it was toxic, you know, it, and it's one of these things where we think about the, we think about systemic racism, right? We think about the, the, the cascading historical uh, manifestation of different systems so, such that people don't have capital, people don't have wealth, people's communities don't have as much educational resources. We think about all these things. And then we also think about, again, like how interpersonal cultural racism still at the end of the day for somebody who is maybe in a more privileged context. I'll say that, like, I grew up in a more privileged context than mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't offer any type of defense for how cultural racism can still seep into that. Like, money doesn't block that. That's right? good, man. You know? So, for me, again, dealing with the, those mental health problems, I think those impacted uh, my brothers in very different ways, <clears throat> my cousins in very different ways. Um, and it, it was, so the first thing was watching that. Like during, like during college, I dedicated my dissertation to my cousin who I lost to suicide, mm. like processing that. Like that is one of the, I always say that was like the worst day of my life. That's also mm. what got me through the program is whatever test, whatever thing, that, that's not, I had the worst day of my life so far, this is nothing. So experiencing that, seeing if we don't, right, give people the services, give people the help that's tailored to the realities that they're enduring, this is what happens, that, that kills people, um, was the first thing. The second thing, in terms of actually seeing that it could be done, was going to Haiti the year after the earthquake with a few psychiatrists and just seeing like the power of holding space, like giving people the, the, the time and really investing in their story when that's not one they regularly get to tell. And so seeing somebody who lost their entire family who had to walk the country was drinking seawater because they had nothing else to drink. Like seeing that person tell the story, like sobbing, but at the very least having the space to do that, leaving that much more grateful, still into a context where there, there's, there's so much peril, but at the very least giving that person that space as a, 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 a site of healing. And also that being the first step in healing, right? 
it was me saying I, I could I could maybe I could maybe do something with this. And so then after that was just investing more time, like doing uh, going to the Brooklyn Children's Hospital, working with kids over there, uh, getting research for the first time, and seeing research as a place where you can elevate people's stories. That, that made it real for me. It's like, this is something where I could devote my life to the stuff that I feel like impacted me, impacted people I care about. I could devote my life to that. So that, that's what put me on that, that path. Man, that's such a, um, that's, that's the part, that's the part of it that we don't really hear that much, right? Like, you know, we don't really hear the side of like, um, mental health concerns and, you know, um, ramifications that come from growing up in predominantly white, areas and like you know growing up privileged like you know what i'm saying we don't hear we don't we don't hear that side of the story we typically hear when it comes to like ptsd and like having mental health concerns it's typically correlated you know um with some of our brothers and sisters you know who are you know poverty stricken and, and things like that you know impacted um in in the inner city and things like that but we don't always hear the side of like Nah, growing up in these growing up in these racist communities where you may be one or two black kids in these classrooms, or you know, you may be one of five black kids in the whole school, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yo, what you got, what you seeing going on at home doesn't connect with what these kids are experiencing. You know, we don't really hear those sides of the experience. And that's something that I can completely um connect with, man, because my mother was very intentional about making sure that. I was in like good schools and I was in safe environments. You know what I'm saying? Um, my father, you know, my uncle, my grandfather, a lot of people in my family, um, they were victims of substance abuse, alcohol abuse. And some of them really got caught up within the streets. Um, I remember when I asked my mom one time, I said, I said, mom, why the hell did you put me in school with all of them white folks? Like, why did you do that? And she was like, well, you know, I wanted you to get a good education and I wanted you to like, you know, have a chance to survive. So I completely understand from her perspective why she was like, number one, she was doing the best she could. And she was making, at that time, she was making a healthy decision to like save her son's life. Yeah. Um, but we don't, we don't talk about the, um, we don't talk about the cons that, that come from being in, being in those environments at all. We never hear that side of the story. Yeah, and that's like uh, Kobe Cambon's cultural misorientation, right? Like when you're like submitted like directly into that predominantly white environment, again, you kind of lose that that cultural resilience that you might get in the African American African American community. Right? Yeah. My mom talks about it all the time. She said, "I grew up in a segregated town. She's from Bracy, Virginia, right, where white people lived over here. We lived over here, but we were good because we were together." Right. And and. People don't always, to your point, people sometimes forget about that is segregation in a lot of ways because people didn't have as many resources. There was still you know, rampant violence at that, at those borders. But there was like a, like a, a, a community context right, that, that gave people that kind of psychological resilience at the very least. But when you pluck somebody from that, place them in the middle of this community where everybody thinks you're, you're, you're terrible, right? Everybody thinks you're mediocre. Like your practice for a lot of people's like conceptions of, of, of anti-blackness, your, your practice for that. Right? <laughs> oh, my, my dad told me about one of you. This is what you are. Right? My yeah. mom told me about you. This is what you are. Or 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 the or the flip side of that. Like, you know what I'm saying? When you 
when you when you when you light skin in these white uh uh white environments, oh, you're not like most black people. You're mm. not like the you're not you're not like the the you're not like them, or you you know you're not one of those type of you know what I'm saying black black folks. It's like what? <laughs> Which again, like to your point, even in doing that, you're there's an intentional cutting off from that that cultural resilience, right? Bingo. It is removing you from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So people don't even uh, maybe intentionally, unintentionally, don't see that type of like cultural wounding, cultural scarring that that, that occurs with that. Um, so yeah, so that's part of the issue, right? So when I'm walking home, oh, I might have been like a, like 12 or 13, walk home for the first time and get like stopped by the police. I don't know what that is. I'm completely unprepared for for that interaction. Right? Cause I'm thinking like. I walk this road every single, my house is right there. I play this park every day of my life. Why are you stopping me? I don't understand. I, I have like a vivid like memory of looking into the person's eyes and thinking like, he doesn't believe me, but I'm from what? Is going, that's the type of stuff you just don't get prepared for at all. And because of that, like psychologically, it does that much more harm. It's yeah. one of the things that people don't know is, some people know, if you look at who, uh, broadly, this is very broad research, who's uh, the most negatively impacted by interpersonal racism, often it could be uh, Asian American groups who haven't been socialized into America's context of racism. To so break break that break, break that down, break down what uh, interpersonal racism is, because I'm, I'm sure yeah. somebody may not even know what that is. Break that down. Yeah, yeah. So interpersonal racism, we're talking about, sometimes people talk about the structure, the systems of it, the disproportionate uh, Discipline by police, you know, negative interactions in terms of poor healthcare. Interpersonal is just like the layer which which that occurs, right? So interpersonal is, I'm going to 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 say something to you. I'm going to call you something. Right? I'm going to use a slur. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> say your work is worthless. I'm going to say this thing about your family. The, the layer at which it occurs, right? That, that that interpersonal nature. Like so, those are your racial microaggressions. Those are which are the, again, like those everyday insults that people experience. And so um, in, in a certain context, I think people at times discuss those as if, oh, these are just like little tiny slights that people don't really mean anything about. But what they actually are, are over time, over time like serving to erase people's humanity in ways that people aren't prepared for. So if you're socialized to know, oh, this is something that's gonna happen to you, you have your coping. Right there, there's uh, there's collective coping. Like going back to your people talking about, can you believe this person said this? Can you believe this person said that? I can't believe having people that see that, understand that, have experienced that, and will like know and validate your experience, and so bring you back to to that full humanness. But if you're in a situation where nobody knows what that is, right? There are times where a lot of kids have to go through this, where you might really be sitting there like, is that is that true what he just said? Like, am I less smart because of this? Am I less capable because of this? Should I not have been walking through here because of how I look? When you start to really grapple with those, that's when you have those more severe reactions. When you don't have those people that you could go back to to bring you back into your full humanity, the effects get more and more toxic. Yeah. Man, can you break down... um black psychology and, and white gear psychology you know what i'm saying like break down the break down what each one is and you know the difference between the two yeah so there's like separate schools of thought 
um, around the, the specificity of like what we talk about when we talk about black psychology. There, when you look at like Joseph White, like he you know, coined the term like black psychology, a lot of it is about specifically, as I was articulating, bringing black people into their full humanness, the, the entire psychology of that, right? The brilliance that comes from being black, right? Against like this torrent of racism in all, in, in all directions. And so it's centering the experiences of black people, wanting to invest in the experiences of black people and creating a psychology from that, right? Terms, ideas, mental health problems, mental health solutions, resiliencies that are based specifically in the lived the realities, the communities of black people, as opposed to right, the way that white people had done it, which was looking at, looking at specifically white people, tracing all knowledge, all thought back to Greek philosophy, like allowing ideas around health to arise from that, creating all these disorders. And then there's the second part, which happens with I'll call like Euro psychology is transplanting those ideas to all other peoples. So there was this whole idea if, 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 if a person didn't fully, uh, if these diagnoses didn't fully match onto what they were experiencing, it's because they were less than human. If you look at the first psychologist, you look at G. Stanley Hall, his whole idea was that African peoples, because they were not experiencing the full range of psychological disorders that we might experience, the full range of emotions that we might experience, people they, they, they just don't have as much of, of that brain power they just don't have as much of that they don't have as much culture um what what, what year what, what year was what year was this when he when he did this ooh, this is like early 1900s this is early 1900s yeah. <laughs> so he was essentially saying these people don't even think correctly they 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 don't think humanly exactly and again uh, we did talk about this a little bit last time. Like you look mm -hmm. at Carl Jung, Carl Jung's idea of the collective unconscious comes from observing Western African populations and saying, this is what it means to be unconscious. This is what it means to be uh, collectively in a state of unthought. When, so he, was talk when he was talking about African people. Exactly, exactly. So when we want to hypothesize and theorize what it means for the human to have these, uh, these unthinking ideas, these unthinking powers that motivate them, let's just watch these Africans and see how they do stuff, right? Not even thinking about, oh, these people are, are engaged in an entirely complex interweaving spiritual, cultural framework that's existed for millennia. Like, no, this is not, this is not, this is nothing. So Euro-American psychology, like it, 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 it grows from that. Um, and so what people are finding is that these diagnoses, these treatments, they just weren't working. Other people didn't want to engage with them or they just weren't helping. So black psychology is what I said, right? Looking at, as it stems, wanted to build that from black people. Then you have African-centered psychology. African-centered psychology seeks to root the beginning of thought, the beginning of health, the beginning of well-being. It's in the beginning of human people, which should, should be uh, common sense, but it's the idea that as long as people have been, they have wondered about what it means to think, what it means to be, what it means to have spirit. And so we have theories that have existed, that have been cultivated in societies across Africa and that, that have expanded, that have informed theories in, in the Americas, throughout Asia and in Europe. 
And so as opposed to uh, creating some type of hierarchy, it's recognizing all the brilliance that, have, that has come from all of these groups of people over millennia. Let's, let's go back, let's think about that. Let's seriously consider that. So that's the work of you know, Wade Nobles. That's the work of Lyndon James Myers, looking at those ideas and like pulling genius from them. Mm-hmm. And so the work that, um, uh, that we do in the Association of Black Psychologists is that exactly. So you get concepts like, <clears throat> right, like cultural misorientation, the idea of acculturating yourself to a Western perspective that's more based in individualism is a cause for mental health problems. You get optimal conceptual theory from Lennon James Myers, like the idea that um, if, you, if, you, if you base your, uh, your worldview in one that is one of collectivism, one that recognizes spirit, this is one that might result in a more healthy, cohesive uh, in the person and also community. So there's, there's a range of concepts, concepts, range of constructs right, that uh, arise when we do this. And what we found when we do our international work is that this speaks more clearly to people's lived experience. What's up everybody? It's your boy, John Morgan. Listen, man, right now, as y'all can see, man, I got on the new Leah Purpose podcast merch, man. It's going crazy right now. The t-shirts, I got the dad hats. People always hit me up. John, man, where can I get it? How can I grab your stuff? You got a website, you got a site, you got a site, you got a site. How can I grab it? I'm here to tell you, yes, we do have a site. All right, that site is www.lypp.org. O-R-G. Again, it's www.lypp.org. Go to that website right now, man. You can find our our uh you can find a link to the YouTube channel. You can find a link to the audio platform, but you also can find where you can shop and grab your merch right now. Again, man, check check us out. We got the tees going crazy right now. The dad hats. Expect to see some new products on that site. Go right now. www.lypp.org. Again, man. A lot of y'all been hitting me up asking me about this link and this site. It's available. So do yourself a favor, go through, support, shout with your boy, spend some money with your boy. I know some of y'all still got that PPE money. Come spend some with your boy, man. Peace. And so, like, how has how has American psychology and white psychology impacted black people's healing? I would say it's been I don't want to say uniformly detrimental, but like very, very harmful, I'll say that. Um, when you look at the, the, the goal, the purpose of psychology as it gets introduced to the US, it's to optimize war efforts. That's what psychology came here to do, not to make people more healthy. It, made, it, it came here to help uh, people get better about choosing which battalion they could fight in when it, come, when it came to the war. How you can that, control people. Exactly, right? Uh, the, the history of psychological testing is one of let's make a more efficient battle force. Mm. And then we can expand out of that. Like how do we classify groups of people in our society in fact? So the origin, so the origin of, of American psychology and white psychology specifically, it was not birthed out of a place of, of, um, of, of healthcare and not out of a place of like service and how, how we can help. The, or, the origin of, of it was not founded on these things. Exactly, exactly. And so when you look at, you know, scholars in liberation psychology, scholars in African-centered psychology, they, they say, when you look clearly at the foundations of an American worldview, of a Western worldview, it's one that's often based in capitalism, individualism, exploitation. And so 
it's, it, it should be of no surprise that the, the theories of mind became ones that centered those as well, right? those that advanced that culture. So more than just African people, you had indigenous people in the Americas who are kidnapped and, 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 and erased in psychiatric facilities because they did not want to adopt American culture. That was the, that, that was the neurosis that they experienced. You had enslaved African peoples erased in state institutions because they wanted freedom. Drapetomania, the specific diagnosis of this person is crazy because they want to be free. So if that's a if that's a if that's a historical context of it, how does it how has it impacted us today, or how is it impacting Black people today? Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, several things. Like one, I think what su surprises people sometimes is, uh, I think there's an idea sometimes that what works for that even these ideas because they're they they stem from white people that, that, that it serves them. And I would say like, it, it doesn't. So one of the ways that it hurts black people is the same way it hurts, I think all peoples is that there's such a strict focus on the, on, on work, on the healthy individual as a worker, as a laborer, right? You're not, you, most often you don't get a diagnosis by the DSM unless it impairs your ability to work. Mm. And I think you'd all know that's like an insufficient way to understand health and well-being, right? as opposed to being a cog in a, capitalist machine, right? So that's the way I say it, 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 it hurts society like broadly, uh, specifically black people, because it, many of these are not based on our realities. When you see in hospitals, when you see in, in, in communities, what happens when black people are in crisis, when black people are in stress, we've been coded to think about that as, as more dangerous. So we, we know statistically that when black people are in crisis, they're more likely to be have, have the police called on them, more likely to be forcibly confined to institutions, hospitalized institutions. Uh, or, or, we, or we're more likely to not even call the police. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? And so you have somebody in crisis who's, who, again, who's not getting service. They're not going to uh, this fancy, which happens to you know certain privileged white people. You're not going to this fancy, uh, institution for a few weeks where you get everything made for you, you get to wander around the facility, you're going to what's effectively a prison. You're, you're, you're getting incarcerated for being in crisis. It's another side of control. That, that's, again, like that's the first thing. And the, the second thing is the, the, the structure of the training, the structure of the workforce makes it so, I referenced that, again, I, ha I came from a more privileged experience that's also part of the reason that I'm able to sit here as a psychologist, however many years later. It keeps people from having the, 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 the money, the time, the resources to enter into the field, to even shift, to shift that. So when we talk about the needs of black people, the, the psychological workforce is less than 2% black, probably less than 4% black. I know it's less than 1% black men. Mm. So our realities, our experiences aren't informing the practice of the field. So you have a lot of people. I was just at a, 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 a talk the other day. A lot of people who want to try, even from their best intentions, want to try to amend what they've been doing for Black people. But it's like you have to allow this to arise from the experiences, from the lives. And there's a resistance to do that because that's a resistance. That, that, that means a lot of people would have to throw away their life's work. So it's, it's, it's deep. It's, it's deep right now how, how, how ineffective. Man, you said that 
a person would not <clears throat> a person would not have uh would not be diagnosed the D, for those who do not know the dsm-5 is a is the title of the overall like the bible of of the field of psychology and um and, and mental health correct yeah yeah and you said that a person would not get a diagnosed would not get a diagnosis if it is not impacting your ability to work mm-hmm. <laughs> so man that's that that is that's so um that's so deep because especially like i initially just start thinking about men right you know being a man like you know what i'm saying being from the from the days of being a a, a young boy you know we were taught that in order to fill your role as a boy and as a man, you are to protect and to provide. <laughs> and if you do not do those two things, then you are cannot consider yourself to be a, a man. Um, and like, I don't get me wrong, don't get me, don't get me lying up here because I'm, I know, I can't, I can't reference them correctly, but I know that there's some level of like, um, reference to even scripture, you know, as it relates to like working and, you know, and, and labor and things like that. So how does, how does, how does, how, how does, how does that work? Like, you know what I'm saying? Specifically as it relates to just like, yeah, this, this construct that, America has put on people to like to work. I mean, yeah. How how, how does that work? Does that, does that make sense? It does. It does. So there's there's like two things. Like one, I also want to uh, also give people the picture that there are providers, even within that context, even within the DSM, who will kind of navigate around that by again, like they'll they'll use particular code within the DSM even if they don't think that it's impacting your ability to work to make sure you get the services that you need, that you get it covered in your insurance. You have people who work around right, the theory of the field to do that. Right? They, they have to, again, they, they have to intervene in that way. Um, to, to, to what you were saying, it made me think immediately of like uh, John Henryism. For anybody who's not familiar yeah. with John Henryism, right, it's the whole idea that you had uh, you know, John Henry who, who worked, 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 worked until he dropped dead. Mm. I, I think he was the one who was like, uh, was he the one who was like racing the train? He was racing the train. I mean, he, was working, he was working on the railroads. Yeah, yeah. And he worked, worked until then he until he dropped dead. And the the I think he was an epidemiologist. I've been uh, I mean John Sherman, definitely Dr. Sherman, um, was looking at how he had seen so many black men who were otherwise fine, right? Psychologically resilient. Mm-hmm. Like we're not saying that they had any type of uh, mental health problems, but were dying at disproportionate rates from cardiovascular problems. And his whole idea was like this type of this idea of I could still I could still work I could still push myself. Everything is things might suck, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my purpose. This is how I get through this. Mm-hmm. Was draining. Was destroying the body from the inside. We, we think about the the whole idea. The people say all the time Martin Luther King when they did the autopsy, his heart was like, what, 30, 40 years older, right? So that whole concept, that whole idea is again, evidence of how the field is inefficient because psychologically, you can read so many papers about this. People want to write from a strength perspective, talking about the resilience of black people, right? 
there's nothing wrong with these people. Let's not pathologize. And every, they're, they're doing, doing so great. It's like, no, it's because the field is, because it's so based on labor, so based on work, and you have a group of people. Honestly, I would say most people in the world exist in situations where they have to work and function through intense chaos and stress. If I think mm. what's going on in, in Haiti, you think about what's going on in, in regions in South Africa, what's going on in regions in Ethiopia. You think about people who are persevering through otherwise chaotic contexts. So to, to base it so strictly on, can this person get up today? Is this person vocalizing sadness? It, it makes it so the field is incapable of attending to the needs. So I'm sh- I'm sure somebody gonna hear you you know hear you breaking this down and they're gonna say, well if we ain't supposed to be working, Evan, what the hell are we supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And your response to that would be what? It's two things, right? It's two things. Because one, I think it's unfair of me or unfair of anybody to put that onus so much on the individual because at the end of the day that's the context, right? So what's it say for me to say, no, the way you're thinking about this is toxic. The way you're thinking about this is broken. <laughs> Yeah, and you still have to get up and go. What, what's that going to do for you other than make you like a little bit more sad? Which is why right. people have 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 rationalized their life the way that they do. Um, so for me, it's 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 a larger kind of cultural project. It's about like more of a kind of collective understanding. Right? Um, I think about specifically within the U.S. and you look at other places in the world. Specifically within the, within the U.S., we have a terrible relationship with work. It's how we understand and define ourselves even aspects of the, and it's tough because I get motivated by these people too, but aspects of the, the grind, the hustle mentality, right? They, they, there are motivational videos that people probably seen on YouTube. Like you gotta wanna, you gotta, you gotta want success more than you want, wanna breathe, right? Those, I, I don't sleep. I don't sleep because the sleep, so aspects of that, right? That's, that's toxic. Because we live in a society right now, which is one of the wealthiest in the world. We have resources, we have money, right? we, we have time, we have space for all these things. And these are things collectively as a, as, as a body of people, um, we, we, we decide to shift away from. There's also obviously, uh, there, there's aspects of oligarchy in terms of super wealthy people not wanting to, to share their poor portions of wealth that really informs that context that people are currently negotiating. But it, it begins, I think it begins with us recognizing that part of the way society is structured is because we've bought into, again, this capitalist, this Protestant work ethic idea. And if we look tangibly at the material, the health outcomes of people that we're sharing community with, it is bad. We, we know people who die before they're supposed to. We see it so clearly. We, we know that we can't see people that we care about because, oh, I got to work. I don't, have, I don't have days off. I still have to go to work because the, the CDC said I, I can only spend like five days to make sure I don't have COVID. Like that's the, the nature of our current capitalist framework. So in a broad way, I think it requires collective recognition as, as we move away from that. I would never put that onus on any one individual to wake up and say like, I'm not going to do this anymore because then that, that, that's tough if you're the only individual. It requires like a collective community effort. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, even when we look about what's currently what we experiencing today, man, through through the pandemic, you know, two years ago we had we had essential workers, you know, you know what I'm saying? And they were they were highlighted, you know, with within the media, you know, about you know, being these people that helped our country function in the midst of a of a global pandemic in the midst of crisis. Here you are two years later, you see 
these same quote unquote essential workers, you know, being forced to work in these conditions where, you know, these people aren't necessarily guaranteed healthcare, you know what I'm saying? They ain't getting no crazy pay increase. You know, in, in some capacity, man, people are losing their employment if they don't agree, you know, to get vaccinated or not, um, which ultimately it it lines up directly with what you're saying about like this, this, this mindset of, of um, functioning, you know, and being married to this idea of like working, you, you, you know what I'm saying? And it, and it hasn't been highlighted. If the last two years hasn't shown anybody that, then I don't I don't know what is in more more recent years. Exactly. And so I, I do think from the conversations I've had recently that I think there is more of that collective, you know, recognition. And the issue is right now our politics is structured in such a way that it does not respond immediately towards the desire of the people. And, and that's the part, and that's the part that's not not only is it disheartening, man, but that's the part that um that's when I say disheartening, that's the part that really impacts our mental health. And that's the part that, you know, ultimately impacts our overall livelihoods. It impacts our day-to-day relationships with our family, you know, our spouses, our partners, our children, and ourselves. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's the stuff that ultimately will deteriorate you from the inside out, man. And that's, listen, bro, that's that's the reason why, you know, I, I stepped away from my, from, from my nine to five. Like, you know, um, I lost my mother in 2020 um, and my mother was, my mother was a, she was one of the most hardest working people I ever met in my life. Like my mom would pride herself. She was like, man, I've been working since I was 15. Like, you know, I always had my own money. I always had my own car. I always did things to like take care of myself. Um, and she, you know, she was a, a labor worker. You know what I'm saying? She worked at, at, at Chrysler for, 15 years, you know what I'm saying, type of thing in the, in the automotive industry. So she, and she was a little lady. So she, she put in her work. Um, but I knew from having a close relationship with her, um, how that impacted her, her spirit and how it impacted her physical capabilities, you know, it impacted her to, you know, be able to really carve out space for herself. You know what I'm saying? Like, and from seeing that, um, close hand I took that into a lot of consideration as it you know as I thought about my own future you know what I'm saying like I I just didn't I didn't want to have those same experiences you know um, with with my children and and things like that um so this is man this is some deep shit that you're talking about man when you're really talking about the construct of um of work specifically and I Again, man, I, I know there's plenty of brothers out there struggling with this concept. You know what I'm saying? And so I just want to note, like, that's what you just said is black psychology right there, right? Is It's not needing to see it in manuals, not needing a doctorate to see it. It's looking at the, the lived experience of this brilliant woman, right, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. raised you, that you connected with, and, and learning from that. Here's how I can like improve upon that as I move through generations, right? That that that's the black psychology work right there. Is thinking about understanding like the familial line, the familial legacy, and choosing how you're going to intervene, like seeing and appreciating, respecting what she did through through her entire incredible life, and then seeing here's my, it's like the shirt. Here's my purpose. Yeah. Here's how I'm gonna live that purpose. 
as I push on to the people who are going to come after me. Yeah, man. Cause I mean, I, I literally, um, I literally thought about it as life and death, right? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? I, I literally looked at it in, in, in that way and don't get me wrong, man. It's, um, it is still a, it is still a concept that I wrestle with today, even being a full-time entrepreneur. I mean, I have intense moments of being by myself and I'm like, questioning did I make the right decision like you know say am I doing enough financially to you know put my family in the in 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 the right position am I am I really am I really doing enough from a work standpoint to like you know to be able to provide and like you know give my family the 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 best opportunity to to survive and like you know be able to thrive ultimately and what you just said about you know black psychology my therapist continues to like get me to work on is that like listen there are different value systems to like be able to lean into, you know, um, and in a, 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 a Western thought process of just like, you know, in this capitalistic society of like work, materialism, um, competition, uh, you know, quote unquote success. Those are the things that's, that's, that's pulling at me. Right. But, but the, the, part that that becomes freeing and liberating is the thought of john i am finding joy you know what yeah. i'm saying I'm, I'm finding happiness in what i'm doing i'm i'm learning how to be present you know with you know with my relationship i'm learning how to be present with my with my child you know it, there's going to be a time where i'm going to be able to like give to my son and, and you know, and, and and my daughter in the future, I'm going to be able to give to them in a way where it's going to serve them down down the line, as opposed to continue on that same old, same old traditionalism and shit that you know myself and many of my ancestors were were, were forced in. Exactly, that's the beautiful thing right there too, right? Because to to the last piece you said is that you're you're going through a piece of like struggling and interrupting right this cycle, and then. They're gonna watch you. They're gonna say like, "I love this." The, the parts that they love, it might feel natural, right? That might not even necessarily say like, "I love this," because it feels so normal to them. And the areas, the space where it's like, "This is where I, I want to change it." That's that's the trajectory. That's like the wave, you know. And they they yeah, improve upon, upon that. That's like the collective, the familiar way of being. I think is, that's the path that you're on. I think it's beautiful. I think it's incredible. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um. You know, w w listen, talk to me about some ways that, man, like you practice your own healing, man, because like, you know, Sierra and I were talking recently, like, you know, I told her, I was like, listen, if my therapist didn't go to therapy and like, you know what I'm saying, I knew her to practice her own healing, I wouldn't even fuck with her. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I meet my providers and meet my people that are doing, that are helping with my own healing to be intentional about their own healing as well. So like, Talk about some of those things, man, that you are intentional about, you know, being a service provider, being a psychologist that you are doing the, you know, to assist in your own healing. Yeah. So it's, it's a few things, right? So one of them is I was, so during that kind of crisis that I, I, I was talking about, I, you know, I did begin therapy, but then again, you talk about some of the exploitation I was talking about because my health insurance stopped and I wasn't getting any health insurance. So I had to, Ooh. I had to stop therapy. But again, I also do have the, the privilege of being in this network of providers. So even if people don't want to step into that therapy hat, if I call up like Linda James Myers and tell her about what's going on, 
she might it's just so natural yeah yeah, 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 yeah. like there are a lot of people in this field like once you start we'll, we'll do that with one another so having that community leaning in community like i don't okay i don't have health insurance but like let me just like practice active listening with somebody that i care about and ask if they have the space to do that for me if they don't like maybe ask somebody else right so leaning on community um some of the sal bone healing circles that we do right so the sal bone healing circles are that that uh rapid response model for racial trauma that the Association of Black Psychologists uh, developed. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I love about that model is, you know, uh, during, what was this in response? This was, was in response to the images of Haitian people at the border and the abuses mm -hmm. that were going on there. And I remember on the last night, so it was my third time doing them, uh, I was exhausted. And it gave me the space still to step out of the world of facilitator and into the circle and allow the circle to be a part of that group of healing so i was telling people like at this point i'm just i'm just i'm just burnt out i feel like there's there's so much work to be done i feel like it's difficult for me to make space right to 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 preserve the other that balance that we're talking about that's not work but it also feels like you're so called to it right when, when you can recognize that there because of the, the state of the field there isn't that many people doing this work yeah. Right. Uh, going into that space and having a community of people that will hold you through that. Right. So seeking out healing spaces, right? seeking out people that could hold space for me outside of the traditional therapy context until, again, I do get my insurance situation <laughs> figured out and I get, I, I do want to start that up again as well. So uh, in terms of healing, it, it, it's that. And also just this is what work at times can prevent us from doing, but there, there's ex there's healing in, in, in new experiences. There's experiential healing, like seeing new new places in the world, being in awe. There are some people who write about the transformative and healing power of awe. Sometimes when you're situated in a city context, when you spend all your time inside of an apartment, inside a house, looking at the same building, you, you start to like shrink your imagination and your creativity and, and your mm. spirit. Mm. So being in space, we could just, there was a study where they just asked some kids to look at trees they did, they did some, I think, yeah, EEGs and saw their brain was just firing. Like, we just like are in awe of the space around you. So seeking out awe, in addition to seeking out community, is the stuff that I've been trying to, to do the last year. Mm, yeah, I remember, I remember um, last time we spoke, man, you talked about like uh, going on a drive, I believe, like to up, upstate yes. New York, man, and just like getting outside, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 be, and, and, being, and being in nature. Yeah. That's exactly it, because so much of the stuff that we do, like the virtual world seems more, uh, it, it seems more of a trap than it actually is. Right? Like being on the computer, being on Twitter, being on social media, you feel like you're connected to the entirety of the world through, through news, through what's trending. And it, it, it can feel trapping, it, feel, it, it can make you feel small, but again, taking a drive like six hours, we don't even have service you see again, like how expansive this world really is. How much of you haven't seen, how, 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 how like the, the different stories even that people are tapped into, only six, six hours north of where you're, where you're staying. Right. It reminds you again of how big everything is. And just like that reminder of, of your place in this like larger context, this larger world. For me, it triggered that off. And, and, and that was healing, that was, that was restful for me. Yeah, man, to the, um... To the, to, the, to the dude, you know, to, to the guy who's going to listen to this, you know, the conversation between, you know, you, you and I, 
and he may be struggling, you know, in, in, internally and doesn't really have the, uh, the, the know-how of the resources that you and I may have, but, you know, he want, he knows something is not, you know, going, going the way that he wants to internally, you know, and he may be struggling, man. What are some, what are some things that, that, that he can do, you know, to kind of like practice, you know, some like real healing steps with, you know, within his own, his own reach. Yeah. So the first thing I would say, and um, I had somebody reach out after I did a, is a podcast interview like last month is there are some, not enough, but there are people who are doing that, that cost-effective, cost-free, like therapy work. Yeah. You can put in like an application through, I think the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. Um, the ABC is about to make the healing circles like monthly. So that's a space that should be there. And there are certain websites also that like, yeah, will let you apply for cost-effective therapy. Um, I think the Black Family Summit is about to restart their listening line too, specifically for Black people. So there's services that people are trying to maintain that people are trying to make accessible um, that are out there in terms of the, the steps that they could take. I think that's a journey. And this, this is the issue. I, I, again, it's, there are so many of those, those therapists and healers and practitioners who are, who are great like media people because they could give you like the one, two, three, four, here's the training <laughs> I, I love I love Dr. Tamer. I respect Dr. Tamer so much. I learned so much from her. She's like has however many hundreds of thousands of followers because she's great at that. And I realized like my approach to it isn't that because mm. I think people are so individual on their journey. So I always hesitate from offering like broad advice because it might misalign with what somebody needs in that journey. I think that at times, yeah, it, it, it can be hard for when somebody gets advice that's like misaligned with their journey. So I want people to know that, you know, to that person who's listening, you're going to be at a distinct place. So I, I said what, what it was for me. It might be radically different from what it is to you. My thing is, I always go back to, to community and searching out like perspectives. I always go back to, to reading, um, to talking, because you'll find your experience. Once you see yourself and somebody else's experience, right, aspects of that journey, that, that next step might, might become a little bit more clear. Um, that, that's what I always say is you find strength in the, in the community that you can connect to, whether that be like your peers, whether that be in history, the people that wrote on this uh, extensively in beautiful ways. Uh, th there are people that can, can help you identify that next step in the path for you. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, good. that's good, man. I, um, I find myself telling people things like that, but, you know, very things very similar to that which is like um it ain't no quick fix man you know um healing and like you know accepting your 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 process in the healing it's exactly that man it it, it is a process and what i'm learning is that there's never really an end yeah. you know there, there is there is no finish line you know even when you even when you um Think that you got something under wraps you find that there's deeper levels and deeper depths of, of, of things like you know um so I, I i agree wholeheartedly with you man that that it is a uh it, it is a journey you know you know you know what i'm saying i think that if 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 somebody's listening to this man if they can accept that they want to like do something intentional about their their healing and their journey man that's a big step in itself yeah 
you 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 know you know what I'm saying because that takes a lot of um insight and a lot of um you know acceptance and a lot of like vulnerability to even you know to to even go there so um I I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly man you you touched on it a little bit but like break it down a little bit more man like you know um the side bonus circles and like you know a a b size influence and things like that like break 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 both of those down for me please. Yeah, so when it comes to AB side, um, one of the reasons that I got like really into them is it in reference to what I was saying before, right? In in terms of it, it didn't it doesn't feel fair sometimes to place so much on the individual within a an, an oppressive context. AB side is an organization that's like built on that. Right? It, it's built on looking at Martin Luther King's idea of creative maladjustment, the idea mm. that we should not be right adjusted to society that is built on racism, oppression, that is, that is inefficient because of these evils. Mm -hmm. It is the society that needs to adjust itself. And so the Association of Black Psychologists is an organization built for that, again, that, that lived material individual experience of black people, but also the recognition of real psychology informed activism to shift our communities. Um, so, I mean, that's who they are. In terms of like the traditions you're looking at you know, leveraging principles and ideas from, from the Zulu people, from the Kikongo, from, from the IET, from, from Brazil, uh, obviously people within the U.S. context. There's so many people who have offered so much brilliant thought uh, within the Association of Black Psychologists, that the idea of, of, of Zola, right? uh, the, the Kikongo concept about like, uh, self-activating self, uh, self love that comes from being a community, uh, a radical concept that, that guided the entirety of our response to COVID-19. In terms of the Salbona Healing Circle, uh, the Salbona Healing Circle intervention, that's, uh, that's, that's an, exact, an exact manifestation of that. So the Salbona Healing Circles uh, arose when you had Black first responders in New York specifically going to the professional organizations and saying, we're going to work and seeing this disproportionate death with these nurses, these doctors, uh, these officers, and we're going home and this is happening to our families too. People around us, they're impacted, they don't understand the way that we're impacted. So the Black Family Summit asked the Association of Black Psychologists to create this healing model. So we, I, we centered that idea of Zola, like the, the idea of you know, love coming from being together, the idea of Sawubona, the Zulu concept that uh, leveraging Ubuntu, the idea that we are because uh, of our communities. Yeah, I am because we are. Exactly. Right? You come into existence once you were seen. So I want means I see you or we see you. Mm. And the idea of Maafa, Maafa being the, the great African Holocaust, right? the idea that we as Black people specifically endure uh, tremendous loss in, resp in response to certain historical tragedies. And so the COVID 19. Kind of inflaring the, the disproportionate access to, to medical, uh, to, to, to hospitals, to, to medical services, the, 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 the poor access to uh, nutrition, all these things were understood as a, as a myopha. Mm. So the Salbona Healing Circles were this, this virtual model that pulled specifically Black people together to share our experiences while guiding healing based on those African-centered concepts, the various models of, of knowing and being. You know, and so we were able to leverage the 
millennia of brilliance throughout Africa and the diaspora to create healing for people in Uganda, for people in Haiti, South, South America, for people who were protesting during the Black Lives Matter uprisings, for people who were you know, somewhat uh, traumatized by the Capitol riots and what that meant for safety in, in the US during the, the trial of Derek Chauvin. We, we've rolled them out for all these mass traumas and people have rolled them out in their communities as well. Um, so in terms of a project that I've been a part of, it's, it's, it's one of the most, uh, I'm the most proud that, I, that I've engaged in that. And again, Dr. Sierra Morgan, incredible. Sierra Dennis Morgan, incredible healer. I've learned so much from her. She's one of the most wise people I hope you've had her on here like what three times, four times. So C has been on here once, and I had Dr. T on here twice. Yeah, you gotta get her on here again. She's amazing. She's so amazing. I, I keep I keep trying I keep trying to get her to come back on, man. You know what I'm saying? She gonna yeah, she gonna listen to this and be like, she gonna wave her hand like, you ain't trying to have me. I'm like, girl, I'm not. Yes, we want you back on, but please believe. You know, there is no live your purpose without Sierra. Sierra is very much. You know the the foundation and a lot of the brain power that people see as we you know continue to grow and build this thing. It is very much a we thing. This is not just just a me. You know what I'm saying? So let me continue to give my lady her flowers on that. Exactly. Bro, for sure. You talk about again. You talk about what again we've been through just the last few years. I know a lot of people doing from doing the healing circles were um, understandably uh, intimidated about. Right, offering healing in that context about the, the type of stress that would be see, uh, be seen, and yeah, Dr. Sierra is just somebody who's so confident and comfortable in the idea of healing that whatever presentation, wherever she was needed, say just tell me when I'm there. Yeah, yeah, she um man, she's she's different, man. You know they 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 her her and her her and her intermediate you know her uh, immediate family they. They, they come from that, man. You know, they come from a, a, a line of like really, really providing service. And I'm talking about like really doing that. I'm talking about from a place of like stepping out of the way and just doing what's best for the collective, you know, from a, from a genuine way. And that's not, that is not always, that's not, not only is that not always an easy thing to do, but it's not always celebrated. It's not always, you know, appreciated. Um, and man, it takes a lot of like courage to be able to do that. Um, so they they come from you know a long 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 line of being able to do that, man. Cause she's she's been able to just teach me, you know, educate me on a lot of things. I'm talking about like organically though, you know what I'm saying? Not not from a place of where I've, I've you know resisted things. I'm talking about just in a way where it's just been a safe space for me to just like learn from her grow with her you know grow grow on my own pace like you know what i'm saying she still accepts me you know in 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 full you know you know what i'm saying so it's it's yeah. just been a, it's, it's it's definitely been a blessing man you know so shout out dr c shout out, shout out, shout out dr c this is the power yeah. couple right here so well, you know we try man you know you know we we try listen man evan man this has been this has been wonderful again bro i'm glad i'm glad we ran this back um, you know what I'm saying? I can't, I'm super excited for people to really be able to like hear this stuff that you're talking about, man, because it's, uh, it's necessary, man. And there's also like, there's what, what I, what I've, what I've been seeing, man, especially these last couple of years, bro, man, it ain't never been this many, you know, of my homeboys and just dudes that I know, man, that just reached out to me about like, yo, 
John, I think I want to go, you know, talk to somebody, man. What can I do to kind of get connected to like my own healing? And even if it wasn't necessarily, you know, from a therapeutical lens, it's like, yo, I want to like, you know, being more intentional about, you know, my own mental health, you know what I'm saying? My own, my own shit, you know what I'm saying? And that's a, that's something that's not coincidental, you, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, you know, I'm very much just appreciative of, you know, cats like yourself, man, who really doing the work on the front line and, um, you know, being that even though it's a small minority of, 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 of black male doctors in the field, man, we damn sure appreciate, you know, brothers like yourself, man, really living it, man. So um, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. You know, I, pre I appreciate your time, man, for sure. And also just want to reflect, too, is that one of the things that we know, right, is that the, the, the whole idea of being a doctor, again, it gives you a certain privilege within the field. But at the end of the day, when you talk about the actual work being done, you don't need that doctor to do that and so we have right. that's right like you who the doctor that's a whole other it's about who's doing the work right and so you holding this space you being in conversation with people that's doing the work right so that, appreciate that man i'm also appreciative of people like you thank you man thank you thank you thank you very much well listen man before i get you out of here man i want to hit you with a few rapid questions um, you know what I'm saying? We'll, 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 we'll get you out of here. Um, new year, man, 2022. What's your, what's your intentions, man, that you really want to be intentional about for this year? You know, maybe in the immediate future, maybe, you know, for the next year, what is the thing you really want to be intentional about? Yeah. Ah, oh, man. So this is great because I just made a, a list. My, um, my girlfriend's mother is a, is, a, is a life coach. So she had us fill out all her intentions for a new year. Okay, okay. So, yeah, a few of mine were, kind of stuff that I shared here is trying to achieve a, a more, more balance, like not allowing my work to bleed into the other factors and facets of my life. Um, the second one was to create new experiences with my friends that are not based just in, again, like my work. You have people who are supportive of me, like, you know, writing and doing different things. But now that, again, I'm going to have more balance in my life, want to create experiences and memories with them that's not related to this whole, my whole persona as a psychologist. Um, the third was, and this is difficult, I'm sure, honestly, both of you probably experienced this given what you do, but is to spend more time with people out of, uh, that, that, that are filling, as opposed to people who uh, feel more obligatory. Right, people who drain a little bit more of you ask a little bit too much. Again, that like psychologist person, right? So people who are <laughs> just as equally feeling. So being more intentional about my friendships like that. Yeah. Um, and some simple things too. I'm trying to learn how to cook. I'm trash. I could burn <laughs> I could burn anything. It does not oh, matter. Oh shit. Okay. It's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. It's bad, man. It's, it's, it's bad. that bad. You know what it is too? This is the other issue. Is I don't know what it's like in your family. My family is like they could they can like cook, cook, not cook like from a recipe. Right. They can cook like, oh, I feel like this should be in the sun for like three minutes, then a hint of this thing that I, like yeah. It, like comes, it, comes, it comes easy. They can, they got it. Like the senses of it. So yeah. I'm trying to learn like recipes and stuff. Like, I don't know how I did this. I just like felt it. I was like, that don't help me at all. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> so I'm trying to cultivate that. Um, okay. All right. I, yeah. Well, good, good, good for you, man. Um, what's your what what's your purpose, and how, how was that connected to what you're doing today? Yeah. So 
I think my purpose is the way I think about it, right, is more than just defined through the profession. I've I've always loved to encourage other people's creativity and in, in, in a way that I think allows them to blossom. That's how I kind of understand freedom. That's how I understand humanity is the ability to create in your space and with people that you care about. And so, again, one of the things that I understand about psychology and mental health is helping people push against the forces that would impede their natural creativity, their natural freedoms. Mm-hmm. So that's how I see uh, see it. And that's how I try to also heal myself is put myself in situations where I can feel creative, that I can think through and be free and how I understand my spirituality, how I understand my work, how I understand my family, um, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's good, man. Um, what's a what's a weakness or you know something that you just really want to like you know work on personally professionally something you just really want to be mindful of? So one is the cooking because <laughs> I'm about to be I'm not thirty yet I'm about to be thirty and so I'm trying to make sure I keep my health and everything intact. But okay. I would say for uh, for real honestly is I think for a long time I was operating from a scarcity mindset the idea that if I wasn't working as much as possible and producing as much as possible, I would lose my ability to engage in my purpose. Mm. I would not have the opportunity to engage in the work that I love. So I love writing, I love research, I love being able to talk with amazing people like you, right? And so there's the part of me that's thinking like, if I hadn't done all this extra stuff, would I be here? Mm. And then there's a second part of me that's like, whatever the answer to that is, you're here. So you don't have to put yourself through that in in the same type of way. Right. So trying to, to scale back the efforts of the work that has to be done. And the tough thing that I'm grappling with sometimes is that there are certain situations in which if I don't do a particular type of work, it's not going to get done. There's yeah. very few people offering free healing groups to Haitian people. That right. was part of my stress uh, when the assassination and, and, and the earthquake and then the um the border crisis was that like if i don't do this i don't know if this gets done Mm. so me trying to carry that understanding that i'm trying to have the energy to do this work for a lifetime so right whatever it might be true i have to center what i have capacity for in in a given moment right um what's something about you people be surprised to know oh man surprised to know you know what's tough is that I've done a couple, couple of these. And I feel like I always do the same surprising fact, but I think I might have said this last time even. Like, so I used to do. It's two things. I used to in in, in college, um, a big track track runner, and I was in a little rap group. Nobody will ever find those songs. <laughs> Listen, there's a reason I'm not doing that anymore. So nobody will ever find that. Ever. Hey, if somebody listen to this right now, if y'all got proof of Evan, Evan Forrest, man, send them, man. We gotta hear that, man. Listen, they're gonna need to talk to me after they hear those. That's the thing. That's just, <laughs> right? We could do some trauma-informed therapy on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, I, I got the chance. We opened up for we opened up for Wale 
and we opened up for Dead Press. So that was oh, dope. Shit. That was dope. Yeah, you were cool. straight, bro. You was, 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 was a little bit. It was a little something. Okay, all okay. right, okay, all right. And then like the running stuff, I did a commercial with Usain Bolt. So there was a little I remember little, you told like, me that. athlete. Yeah, that was the one. That was a little athlete musician thing, but Okay, okay, all right. Hey, those not that's not those not small feats, bro. That's a that's a big deal, man. That's that's a big deal, but that's like way that's like way hard. I can't lie, man. <laughs> I can't I can't lie. That's fire. You know that that's that's fire, man. We, we oh. rolled those mediocre bars as far as they would take us. So we, we, we could. Hey, y'all got to open up a dead present while late though, bro. That's that's saying something, man. That's some, you know, that, that that's doing a little something for real, man. That's big. I can't, I can't lie, but I can't, I can't even clown you on that at, at all, man. I, I can't. Um, what, what what scares you? Hey, what I said last time, heights. What I said last time. I remember you saying that? I, I said heights. You saying that? Um, I think because like the the the, you get some more like intentional work, in terms of more emotional or meta ideas that people might have around right, uh, opportunity or this or that, those, I just take what comes to me. Mm -hmm. so it's sincerely it's the only thing that gives me like actual like terror is, is heights. If I'm too high in the air, I do not function. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does not work. Okay, what's your, uh, what's your favorite quote? This was the one. And this was the one I told myself like, oh man, I should have had one on deck. And I asked you, to push this one, I remember asking you to push this one. Come back to it. <laughs> yeah. I think I I always struggle with the. You know what I'll say actually. It's funny, like the different uh, again, like the synchronicity around things. I was talking with my with my father about this exactly about this lack of this lack of balance, and this is actually reproducing itself, which is funny, and. He said, this is like my graduation from elementary school. It was my graduation from elementary school. And he kept asking me, what's your quote gonna be? What's your quote gonna be? What's your quote? I like, I would not tell him. I don't remember that he told me, I would not tell him, I refuse. Like, no, you gotta wait. No, you gotta wait. No, you gotta wait. Mm. He was so excited because my dad, he again, like a doctor expecting like some philosopher. He's like, I was especially like Confucius. I got up there and I said, I think I wrote, read this in like some children's book. It was like, take the day, take the time, every day to do something silly. Mm. He, he said, again, as I was talking about my struggle with balancing work and not wanting to put some, something else, he told me this story. And so I, I'm recognizing this reproducing. Can I want to say, I want to pull something out. Like, here's my favorite Lupe Fiasco verse. Here's my favorite Jay-Z verse. Here's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. But the thing, again, I think there's a reason that that story was shared literally yesterday. Mm. I offer that. Divine order. Exactly. Make sure you take that time every day. That's 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 very very important, man. You know that's that's what I was talking about when I was talking about like finding joy in, in, in what I'm doing. My I was talking to my little cousin yesterday on the phone. We was talking for maybe like 20, 30 minutes. Him and I are really really close, and I can't. We were just we were kind of just talking about our own kids or whatever, and talking about having more kids. And he said something. He was like, "Bro, I don't know what it is, bro, but you seem way more happier." Like, and I was like, I was like, man, you know what? I appreciate that, bro. That is a hell of a compliment. I will, I will, I will take that, man. You know, so that's it may it may sound minute what you're saying, but that's very, very important, man. That you know, to find joy in doing doing silly stuff and just you know having a, having a really good time, man, for no for no reason. Um, what's the best advice you ever received? 
I remember this. This was on my first uh, internship in college. Is I can't remember the exact like way it was phrased to me, but it was again. I was like 18, and it was like just again. It's like simple, but it's like just try to do the thing, right? Like I think there's a whole bunch of this. This speaks a little bit to what I was saying before, right? I love music. Mm. You know, some people grab with like, do I want to be a rapper? It's like you don't have to decide if you want to be a rapper. Just try rapping. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good, man. That's good. You don't have to decide if you want to be a psychologist. Like, just, just go hang out with these psychiatrists. See what it's, what, what that's like. You know. Yeah. That's so right. many people in our community doing so many different things. Just try a little bit of it. Not everything has to be like this is who I'm going to make myself. And in fact, we tire ourselves a little bit too much to this work. So, try it out. See if it sparks that for you. That's good, man. That's good. If you want to be an artist, man, you just create art. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's that's very that's very good. That that that's that that's very good. Um, last question. You can call your 20 year old self, knowing what you know today. What would you tell yourself? Yeah, it's it's. It might relate a little bit to what we said at the beginning of this, in terms of. I think at 20, at 20, this is in college, I was probably going through some of my deepest depression mm. like around this specific, me feeling like I, I did not have this type of purpose. Me feeling that like my purpose had already left me, me feeling there were things that I wanted to do that I was just so far from, I was just like disconnected. I could not find value in the things I was doing and who I was. But I just received, right, like a couple years ago, like that piece of advice. So I was experimenting with different things. And so I think it would be me telling myself to like, have faith in that. Right? Mm. Uh, have faith in that. Also, let him know that the Knicks not going to win anytime soon. So there's <laughs> a little, little bit of both of those. Bro, you talking to a Browns fan, bro. So like, <laughs> listen, bro, I, I get it. I, I get it, brother. I, I get it completely, man. You know what I'm saying? So. Don't feel bad at all, man. Yeah, don't 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 feel bad at all. Listen, man, Evan, man, this has been fantastic. I really can't thank you enough, man. I genu I genuinely appreciate you, man. You know, um, much love to you, man. Especially as you, you know, you really starting to roll out into your career, man. You know, I, I really look forward to just continuing to see your trajectory, man. Your evolution. Um, you know, it's, if there's any way that I can continue to help serve on what you got going please don't hesitate to let me know. You know, you know what I'm saying? I definitely, uh, I would, I would love to be able to do this in person, man. You know what I'm saying? Any, anytime I'm, we in, we in the same area, bro, let's sit down and do this in person. You know, you know what I'm saying? Let's sit down and like really, you know, do this and, you know, bounce energy off of one another, man. Let's, let's, let's do this in person for sure. Yeah. You just told me, uh, yeah, Dr. T was on here twice. So that's the record. So I'm going for the record. So all right, all right, that's a bet. Yeah. I, I, I got you on, I got you on camera, bro. So you know, exactly. what I'm like, I'll pull this out on you if I need to, man. For sure, I, I got you. I got you recorded. Uh, <laughs> okay, all right, bet. Well, listen, man. Tell every tell everybody you know, um, what you got coming up, your social media tags and things like that. Um, where they can find you, how they can kind of get connected, um, to the side bonus circles and yeah. things of that nature. So I'll, I'll say this straight up, right? Um, this. I had a lot more to say the last time we recorded this. What's coming up for me is rest. <laughs> for a little bit, I'm not going to be putting out too much writing. I'm not going to be doing too much organizing because I want to 
take a little bit of a step back as I prepare for like the next the next step of my uh, my my career. Um, like next year, there's some stuff that's finishing up now that might come out next year. We're doing like some in-depth articles on, you know, the, the beginning of Haitian psychiatry, um, about the influence of uh, psychology, mass incarceration, or anti-blackness. So some of that stuff's coming out like next year. Okay. Right now it's about rest. In okay. terms of the, the South Bonnet Healing Circles, you could email the committee at virtualhealingcircles at, uh, at abside.org. Um, we're going to be starting trainings and holding regular healing circles starting next month. So if you want to get, uh, if you want to experience that kind of African-centered healing, if you want to get trained in that, uh, follow up with the committee and uh, we'll get you, we'll get you situated. Beautiful, man. Well, again, man, Evan, thank you, brother. This, is, this has been wonderful. The last thing that I have my guests do is lobby for a special guest to come on here, man. You know, we, it's, it's, it's funny, Brand, because this time last year, um, literally this this time last year, uh, I had our first special guest, Arian Foster, on, on 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 the podcast. Man, you know, so we approaching our fiftieth episode in in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so you know, we are gonna start rolling out. You know, lobbying for our next guest to come on here, and it's none other than Mr. Charlemagne the God. Um, I love what Charlemagne is doing. You know, what I'm saying really being attention not only about his own healing but really just being a, a, a force in, the, in, the, in that space. And like, for those who know, man, um, he's, he's a real, you know, tycoon in the podcast space, man. So I would love to really sit down and have a conversation with him. Um, so if you could look in your camera right now and tell Mr. Charlemagne, the guy, why he should be a guest on the Live Your Purpose podcast, please. Listen, Charlemagne, the, the brilliant thing about conversation and it made for the best podcast episodes when two people could pull from one another, like mm. create that kind of space where not only are they left better at the end of it, but the audience experiences that sharing of energy. And the Live Your Purpose podcast is one of those specifically for the stuff that you do. When you think about uplifting mental health, centering that in our community, you have somebody right here who is already in depth, who's had that lived experience, has experienced that work, is connected to traditions of people doing that work and, and, and the history of scholarship around it too. You bouncing energies off one another, continuing that work can only have a positive effect. So I look forward to that conversation when it happens. I'll be listening. I can't wait. For sure. Well, listen, man, thank you for that, man. I'm looking forward to it again, man. Shout out to the LYP community, man. I really appreciate y'all. We got a lot of good things coming out. We got some new merch dropping next week. Um, we also have a couple of events that I'm going to be announcing here really, really soon. Again, LYP, we growing, man, and just going to continue to see this thing through. Evan, been wonderful. Much love to y'all. LYP, peace. Peace.